For the past three weeks in Advent, we have been spending time in the Old Testament. The reason we've been spending time in the Old Testament is because that God has foretold what would happen. He has given us his promises, and we see that he has kept his promise from a very long time ago. Just as we saw in the video with Isaiah, Isaiah, though he did not fully understand everything, he trusted God's word and he trusted God's timing. He had the assurance of faith because of God and knowing that God keeps his word. So in our journey of Advent, we have had messages of hope. We've prepared for peace. We've been filled with joy. But the hope we have is not just a temporal hope. It is an eternal hope. The peace we have is not just transient, but it is everlasting. And the joy we have is a heavenly joy. And we have all of that because it has been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. What has been prophesied, foretold in the Old Testament has been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. We have that in the witnesses of the Gospels. The Gospel witnesses have said so. Even Jesus has declared that. In the Gospel of Luke, and we just finished that in our Bible study, and so it's very appropriate at the very end of the Gospel of Luke, after the resurrection, Jesus is on the road with two guys from Emmaus, and they don't quite understand what's going on. So he says to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Really, if I could be anywhere, it would be on the road to Emmaus and have my mind open up to all of the scriptures. What Jesus did literally, he connected the dots for them. Had they but studied the Old Testament, they would have seen that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that God has promised. He even said the same words to the disciples on the same day of the resurrection. He said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law and Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Could you imagine having your mind open to such a degree that you could connect all the dots? Did you know that there are at least two to three hundred direct Old Testament quotations in the New Testament, over 20% of the New Testament refers to the Old Testament. And by the way, if you start to take the allusions also of the, in the New Testament to the Old, you get at least a thousand. People have done more. I've seen a graphic where they connect by lines, and it's just almost one solid color because of how many connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament or the New Testament to the Old. See, when you start to study God's Word and you see it fulfilled, doesn't that give you hope? Doesn't it give you assurance of peace? Doesn't it fill you with joy? Wouldn't you have a greater assurance of your salvation? 
So today we're going to spend a little bit more time in Isaiah and find that assurance that was foretold made manifest in Christ Jesus. Let me give you just a little bit of context for Isaiah. I've been doing that as we go along the way, but Isaiah, his ministry was 700 years before Jesus was born. Now, during that time, it was a time of upheaval. Kings were making political and military alliances that were just falling flat, wasn't working out as well. And basically what you had, you had the option now, not necessarily right then, but coming up of either deportation or death. These were the options that they were facing. So the nation, the people of Judah, they were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for a Savior. And as much as they wanted a Savior, the people were blind and stubborn, prideful people. Thus, the prophecy of Isaiah was both judgment and hope. This is what's happening. This is the context. Now, if you actually read chapter 10, just before our reading from Isaiah chapter 11, our, our lesson for the day, you're going to find that there was a lot of judgment. Think of a large forest, and God is chopping down all of the prideful people. This is what it says in Isaiah chapter 10, starting with verse 18. The glory of his forest and of his fruitful land the Lord will destroy, both soul and body, for it will be as when a sick man wastes away. The remnant of the trees of his forest will be so few that a child can write them down. Have you ever seen a forest completely destroyed? I think of when Mount Helen exploded and all of the trees were just wiped out all around and it was just cut to the ground. This is what God says in his judgment against the people who have rebelled, who have turned away from them. But now in chapter 11, there's a promise of life. So let's go to our reading here. The Lord says, there shall, come for, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. The stump of Jesse. Who remembers who is Jesse? David's father. That's right. Very good. It's David's father. So it's talking about the line from David's father. But why is that important? Because many times, if we want to start connecting the dots, there have been prophecies that from David would come a king, a ruler, and his rule would be everlasting. That was actually from 2 Samuel chapter 7. By the way, David lived a thousand years before Jesus was born. So even 300 years before Isaiah gives this prophecy... The prophecy was given to King David that from your line there would come a ruler, a king, and his kingdom would have no end. Now you want to connect the dots to the New Testament? Simply go to Luke chapter 1, verse 32. Gabriel speaking, he will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. 
This is the prophecy right there of life coming, of a king coming. But why does it say there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse? I mean, just this little tiny shoot, right? Well, it speaks to this. It speaks to the humbleness, the humility of the Messiah. Now, when David was anointed king, he was the last in the line of brothers. If you recall the story, Samuel was to anoint a new king for Israel. And the Lord told him, go see Jesse. Now, Jesse had a lot of sons. And the first son, Samuel goes, wow, that must be it. He's the firstborn. He must be it. But the Lord told Samuel this, do not look on his appearance or in the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So Samuel rejects the first son. As a matter of fact, he rejects all seven sons. And then he says, Jesse, do you have any more sons? And Jesse was like, well, yeah, and the youngest, but he's out in the field tending the sheep. And who became the king? The shepherd. The shepherd became the king of Israel, a very humble one, the last one chosen. And now, during Israel, during Judah's time, during Isaiah's time, it was very dark. It was very dark. I liked how that video was. It, it, it was a dark time. There was desolation. There seemed to be no life. Wicked people were running wild. But the Lord promised that there would be life, that there would be light in the midst of that darkness. In the midst of desolation, the Lord brings life where it looks there can be none. Where it looks like there can be no life, the Lord brings life. He's done this constantly. Abraham and Sarah, barren, and yet the Lord brought life when she was really old, too. And I guarantee you, all you ladies out there, you'd be like, I don't think I could have a baby then. But the Lord did that. Also, Elizabeth, John the Baptist, we don't have any children. There's life now where there was no life. Jesus is the life of men. And what he does in Christ Jesus in the midst of our sin, in 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 our spiritual death, God in his grace through Jesus brings us everlasting life. That's the message. All the way from Isaiah, fulfilled in Christ Jesus. That though we are dead in our sin, he brings us to life where we think none can occur. Look, they tried to kill him. They tried to suppress the message. But even on the cross, where he fulfilled God's plan, that message was brought forth then in the resurrection. Right? Because we have a risen Lord, a risen Savior. Look, you want a message for Christmas? You want to share the message of Christmas Tell them about the life and life everlasting, especially when people are in a dark place. That's the time to bring the life, the light of Christ Jesus.
But this life can't come from just a man, can it? I mean, Jesus wasn't just a man. He wasn't just a good teacher. He was more than that. He is God himself. So let's go on in our study here. It says, verse 2, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This, Isaiah's prophecy, describes the ideal Messiah. And what you find in this particular verse right here is you find the Trinity. It is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all prophesied here at this point in Isaiah. And if you look at the verse carefully, you see there are, there are actually seven parts. Spirit of the Lord, spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and fear of the Lord. By the way, do you remember what seven means? We've covered this past times. Perfection, it is perfection, it is completion. So the ideal Messiah here is perfect in the spirit of the Lord. So let's cover a little bit of what this means and connect more of the dots. So we have heard in Scripture the Spirit coming upon people. We had that in the reading from Luke. Simeon, in the Spirit, went up to the temple. David himself was filled in the Spirit. But in each one of these instances, the filling of the Spirit was temporary It was not permanent. In Christ Jesus, we find that it is full and that it is permanent. And that we see that, again, the Trinity is present in him fully. At his baptism, at his baptism, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest upon him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The fullness of God in his baptism. And also now from John chapter three. So after Jesus has been baptized, people said, to John the Baptist, are you the Messiah? And he said, no, no, not me. It's him who I'm baptized. And then he says this of Jesus, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. That's the phrase there, without measure, the fullness, completeness. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hands. No one else has ever been declared that all things have been given into his hands, except the Son. So, he has the fullness of the Spirit. Now, what does that exactly mean? The next couple of uh, couplets, because they're together, actually simply define more what that means. So, let's briefly go to it. The Spirit of Wisdom and Understanding. What is wisdom? For most of us, it's something that we gain as we get older. And we gain it by doing what? Making mistakes. That's how you and I gain wisdom. And as we get older, hopefully we get wiser, and we can tell the difference between right and wrong, between what is true and what is false. See, wisdom and understanding, they go hand in hand, don't they? The thing is, 
in our day and age, where do people seek wisdom? They seek wisdom by looking inwards, by looking into their own heart to find the wisdom and the truth there. But what does scripture say about our own heart? It's deceitful above all things. But when people in our day and age, man, they they say, I've sought wisdom. I've looked inwards. They don't look to God for wisdom. They look to self. And so now you have a clash between the wisdom of pride and the wisdom of God. And people nowadays will argue for their own wisdom rather than the wisdom of God. Look, this is not new. Paul had to deal with this in his day. He said this, 1 Corinthians, I will destroy, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Here's the crux of the matter right here. Jesus isn't just wise. He is the wisdom of God. And he was given that by God, from God to God. Wisdom from the very beginning. And look, you get people all around who are amazed by the wisdom of Jesus. Even atheists will appreciate his wisdom, even if they don't agree that he's God. People in Jesus' day, they were astounded too. Matthew chapter 13, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not, is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all of his sisters with us? Where did this man get all of these things? And what they didn't get is that Jesus was not simply a man, but God himself. And that's the hard part for us in this day and age. And that's actually from the beginning. To understand that Jesus isn't just this wise teacher. He is God himself. He has eternal wisdom because his wisdom comes from God. You want to connect another dot? Note this one, Proverbs chapter 2. For the Lord gives wisdom. Who gives wisdom? The Lord, right? The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over them the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For his wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to you. Where does all this wisdom come from? Comes from the Lord. So what we have here is this. If any of you lacks wisdom, 
seek the counsel of Christ. When you seek Jesus' counsel, you seek the very wisdom of God. Not just of man, but of God. And there's a reason the picture of the Bible is up there too. Because sometimes people try to seek the wisdom of Christ Jesus apart from his word. Look, you have his word, you have his wisdom. Delve into it, dive deep, drink deeply of his wisdom. And then wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. So who is this Messiah? The Messiah is also has the spirit of counsel and might. By the way, this was also reiterated in our lighting of the candle this morning from the prophet Isaiah chapter 9. This is something we read all the time, something you hear all the time for us to actually the King James, right? For unto us. A child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Who had the Hallelujah Chorus singing in their... I, I did as I read that one. Maybe, I guess I was the only one. Okay. There you go. To say that is the spirit of counsel and might is to say he is a wonderful counselor and mighty God. What does it mean to be a wonderful counselor? Well, we actually just covered that. It's to have the full wisdom and understanding of God. And to say that he is mighty God means that he has the power to do what he says. He has the power to bring sight to the blind, to heal the lame, to still the waters, to calm the storms, to change water into wine. He has the power to raise the dead to life, and he has the power to bring you from dead in sin to life everlasting. This is the Messiah. He is mighty God. In Hebrews chapter, chapter 1, verse 3, it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And I love this one. He, and he upholds the universe by the power of his word. As he speaks, so it is. Jesus has the promise to fulfill, he has the power to fulfill everything he says. And now he has the spirit, and no, spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Okay, today we are filled by the internet with a lot of information. Ton of information floating out there, very little knowledge. And it actually wreaks havoc with our society in many ways. But you know one way that it wreaks havoc? It wreaks havoc with our relationships. We have a lot of information about people all around, but very few people actually have knowledge of that person. What is this knowledge I'm talking about? It is the intimacy, the true knowing of another person. Have you ever seen a husband and wife who've been married a long time and they like, look like each other now? You know? They start to look like each other. They start to take on certain habits because they know each other so intimately they finish each other's sentences, which is also both a blessing and sometimes not a blessing. 
But that's, <laughs> that's the intimacy, right? You know someone so well. Jesus knows the Father intimately. It says this, the Gospel of John, chapter 10, I and the Father are one. Gospel of John, chapter 17, for I, haven't given, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. He knows the Father intimately. He and the Father are one. He was sent by the Father, but not apart from the Father. So you have the Father, you have the Son, and then you also have the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, one God, three persons, ultimate relationship. And it is so complete, it says he has the fear of the Lord. Now, that's a weird phrase for a lot of people, fear of the Lord. Why would we ever fear the Lord? Well, there can be a trembling of fear, especially in judgment. But a fear of the Lord is this. It means to revere God, to have the utmost respect, the utmost reverence for the Lord. And it's not only that. In verse 3 from our reading from Isaiah, he says, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. So it's not just the reverence, but he actually delights in the fear of the Lord. Now, how will we understand that, that he delights in that? Well, here's a little interesting tidbit. The root word for delight in the Hebrew there actually means to smell or to smell with pleasure. But there's the nuance, and the way it's written is the way we should take it that. There's the delight. But I just want you to understand that this smell with pleasure. Smell can evoke strong, strong memories, right? Have you ever seen a woman, and there's a newborn baby, and she says, oh, can, can I hold him or her? And she takes that baby in its arms, and do you know what she does? smells the baby. And you can just see the woman melt. And there is, there's just an outpouring of love, isn't there? And you just can't hold that back. This is the love that pours out of Jesus to God the Father. His delight is in the Lord. This is the love that is so great, the reverence that is so great that he will even do what is so difficult. He will go to the cross because of his delight in the Lord. This is the Messiah. When you grow in the love and knowledge of Jesus, you grow in the very knowledge of God himself. For to know Jesus is to know God. And when you come to know Jesus, you will delight in the fear of the Lord. Your love will start to pour out. This is the Messiah. This is what Isaiah wrote, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. 
the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And when you have these things, you have the assurance that he is also the one who should be the righteous judge. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. This actually ties back to what I said regarding when David was chosen, right? That Samuel wasn't to pick the one that he looked at, but it was the Lord who looked and saw the heart. And now it is Christ Jesus who's actually the fulfillment of that. He will not judge by what his eyes see. Jesus, the Messiah, the righteous king, will see things as they really are and not judge by mere outward appearances. And he will be righteous. He will be with the needy. He will be with the poor. He will mend the brokenhearted. This is the righteousness that he has. And because he is righteous, by the way, he will not let evil slide. He will judge the evil. He will judge the wicked. It says by the rod of his mouth, which means, again, the word of his mouth. And who are the wicked? Well, these are not just people who have done evil things, but these are people who have rejected him outright. You know John 3.16, right? Everybody said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now do you know John 3.18? John 3.18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. So there is a judgment that the righteous king will give for those who do not believe. But you and I, if you are in Christ Jesus, have no worry. Have no worry whatsoever. If you confess that Christ is Lord and Savior, you need not worry. You go from judgment to salvation from death to eternal life. Remember the jailer? The jailer was trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. That's the assurance of faith right there. Now, I know we've covered a lot. I know it. I prepared this. I know it. But we started to connect the dots, right? To see all of these things of what has been foretold in the Old Testament made manifest in Christ Jesus. And you can rest assured with the comfort and knowledge that Jesus is the complete fulfillment of God's word. He's a savior who brings life. He is the perfect spirit-filled Messiah He is our righteous judge. So here's your homework between now and Christmas Eve to increase your insurance of faith. Two things. 
Go to the Old Testament and search for the messianic prophecies fulfilled by Jesus. By the way, for folks who want a little help, on the resource table in the back, there are 15 messianic prophecies that you can look up. Or if you want to do uh, this, just go through the first two chapters of Matthew or Luke and notice, simply notice, how many prophecies are spoken of in the first two chapters. And then all you have to do is thank God for the gift we have in Christ Jesus. And all the people said, Amen. We hope that you've been blessed by this message. If you have any questions or you would like to grow deeper in your faith, please visit our website at joyccc.com. Again, that's joyccc.com.